This is Planted, a podcast that encourages us to be rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ and established in the faith. Today, we take another step closer in defining Israel. What are the distinctions we should be mindful of as we read terms such as Israel, Ephraim, Judah, and the Jews? Good day, everyone. This is Pastor Matt Grimm, and I'm here with the Planet Podcast, and Thad Keenel is joining me once again. What's going on, Thad? Wow. Um... I can't believe I'm surprised by that question every time. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know, here we are in another week yeah. and been thinking a lot about Israel. Um, I was actually on a little golf trip uh, and I had mentioned this to a couple of my buddies who are believers and just was telling them how excited I was to be exploring yet another, I'm just going to say that it's a revelation of expounded text that's revealing more about the truth of God's promises being upheld, you know, right. to the nations. Yeah, yeah. It, it's been, you know, interesting journey. We decided to kind of go back and start with the origin of the name Israel and trying to do a lot of history of, of just the the people of Israel and, you know, the sons of Jacob and uh, as it goes back to the promises to Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And uh, we've Spent the last couple of weeks doing a little uh, work in uh, Galatians and Romans and things like that, and ultimately, I think we'll probably get a little bit to Romans eleven today, a, a, examining what is in a lo- Romans eleven twenty five and twenty six when it talks about all Israel being saved, what's being talked about there, right. and it was just fascinating. I've been thinking more about, and I'm still open to correction, but you know when I when I uh, even just looked at my ESV concordance, and I went to the word Israel, and it's exhaustive concordance, and go to the book of Romans, Israel doesn't appear until chapter 9. And so why, up until that point, he's just talking about the Jews, the Jews, the Jews, and then why the switch to Israel in, in chapter 9? And I, and we, I think it has something to do with, he was started, he's, is starting to talk about ethnic Israel, he's talking about all Israel, and uh, he seems to be wanting to draw some kind of distinction there of the restoration of all of Israel. And, and so where's that coming from? Well, we talked a little bit about the split, the division between the northern tribes and the southern, and we had um, the house of, of Israel versus the house of Judah, or the house of Ephraim, it will often say too, uh, the house of Ephraim versus the house of Judah. And we, I think we mentioned last time how you know when, when the two split, that Jeroboam became king of the north, and he was of the house of Ephraim. And, of course, then his sons would be as well who would succeed him. And then it was a, a son of David, who, of course, was the, in the line of Judah that the southern kingdom was ruled by. And so we kind of see that distinction. And so is there any uh, history of that that we would find, any reason potentially for that further back in the Old Testament? And so I think, uh, go ahead. No, I was just thinking that, you know, when Jesus talks about um, in, in Romans about there's the vine and the branches, some of the branches were cut off, mm-hmm. and then other branches who are not of this nation, right, yeah. were grafted in, uh, that we always understood that 
passage properly as Gentiles being allowed yeah. into the into the kingdom of God. You know, not that they weren't um, prior, but just an example. Right. But that the first pruning of branches being cut off is reflective of this divorce that we talked about of the northern tribes when God disciplined them through the yeah. Assyrian attack, right? And they were assimilated into those northern nations and into the Gentile nations. They've lost their they lost their identity, right. and um, so. But when we talk about the the new branch being grafted in, um, there's one more facet to that that we're learning about now that includes some of those tribes, those lost tribes of Israel, right? Yeah. And yeah. so all of a sudden the picture is starting to become more broad and more complete. And we're going to get into that as we get into, um, you know, all of Israel being saved and, yeah. and what that looks like in, in chapter 11 of, of Romans 9. But, you know, for the past couple of weeks, you've been stringing us along saying that we're going to get yeah. to Genesis chapter 48 and 49. And so... Um, I don't know if you're planning on starting in that location. I think so, yeah. So that's kind of where I was going. So is there any hint of this line of Ephraim right before this? Is there anything that uh, could have maybe given us a clue to this? And I hadn't seen this for years and years, but but actually, and I think we maybe mentioned the scholar Jason Staples um, and some of his, we'd listened to a podcast of his, and he has an article uh, a journal article out there, and he he did a lot of study on just the concept of Israel in the Second Temple period, and he has a new book out called I think Jesus and the Resurrection of Israel, which I think is taught, which really is honing in a little bit on on this, especially the the Romans eleven twenty five and twenty six so mm-hmm. forth. But but this whole notion of of Ephraim kind of being this line of Ephraim, uh, where does that come from? Well, I think we can see this in Genesis forty eight, and so. Uh, What's interesting about Ephraim is Ephraim is not a son of Jacob directly. Uh, he's not, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't be one of the 12 tribes, except for the fact that when Joseph, uh, one of the sons of Jacob, uh, is in Egypt, he has two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And at the end of Jacob's life, when he, when he blesses the, the, all his sons, he also he calls Joseph in and separately he designates Ephraim and Manasseh as his own, basically. So instead right. of being sons of Egypt or born in Egypt, he he takes them as his own almost, you know, in that in that blessing. He lays his hands on them and blesses them. And so uh, and in one and you know, that's where we have the twelve tribes that get land because the Levites don't get land, right? And but there is there are these kind of twelve tribes in that sense that that are um, part of the land blessing. Uh, that that comes out of this, uh, and and they are they are told that they would be, and we'll see this in Genesis forty eight. It's interesting that um, he he does he carries that same blessing that like would be passed on to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and of, like it'd be a blessing to the nations. You'll be a multitude of nations is talked about here, and it's interesting that it's, it's like said of of Joseph's two sons, just like it would have been said of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob or Isaac and Jacob from Abraham. Sure. And so some people think that that's just the point of this. But I think as we'll see, that, they, that it potentially may even be saying something more significant about Ephraim. So if we just turn to Genesis 48, we see that uh, Joseph is called to Jacob, and uh, he comes to him, and uh, Jacob says to Joseph, 
that God is appearing. Just he reminds him of of his appearance at Luz, which we I think we had talked about maybe before in the land of Canaan, where he was told that he was going to be fruitful and multiply and make him a company of peoples. Now that phrase right there in verse four. Um, this company of peoples, or some might see a multitude of nations, some translations might have. That's very important because it's going to be said later of, of, of Ephraim, and it's also the same phrase that's used in Romans 11. Mm. Uh, and I think, it, and if you, if I think from the Septuagint, it would be like almost identical potentially, but. Uh, I need to be refreshed on that a little bit. But that, that phrase becomes very important because it's said there, and then he says, and now you have two sons who were born in the land of Egypt. I came to you in Egypt, uh, or mine, Ephraim and Manasseh. He says, they shall be mine, as Reuben and Sibion are. And so that's verse uh, 5. So he's taking Ephraim and Manasseh just in the same way he would Reuben and Simeon. Yeah, which is kind of interesting because Reuben's going to click back in in the next chapter uh, and we're going to see something uh, take place because of Reuben's disobedience to, you know, the covenant relationship that he's supposed to have within the family as well. Yeah. So it's 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 kind of it, there's a lot of bait and switch going on here. Uh-huh. So a little bit hard to keep track. But the other thing is uh, that it's it's Manasseh that's the older mm-hmm. as well, right? So we, here we are once yeah. again coming into the. The uh, it seems like the the firstborn is kind of being usurped. We see that with Jacob and Esau. <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. kind of strange how this yeah we Cain and Abel right kind of the same way that we there is a little bit of pattern of this throughout the scriptures. Um, and well, we see it even between um, Isaac and Ishmael, right? Because Ishmael was born first, mm-hmm. right? And, and and Isaac is the one that is right. That gets the blessing. so not to get too far off the track. So sorry about well, that. Well, no, that's fine because well, that leads us right into where we're going here because uh, Jacob brings his two sons before him and he sets them before him uh, and uh, to to be blessed. And uh, what ends up happening is he sets Manasseh on the right and Ephraim. Um, on his right towards Israel's left hand, I'm sorry, and Manasseh on his left hand toward Israel's right hand and brought them near to him. That's verse 13. He does that so that the right hand of blessing would go on Manasseh, who's the older one. Right, so, to the primary. So Joseph, knowing the, the proper way of things, does that. However, in verse 14, it says, Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the hand of Ephraim, who was younger, and his left hand on the hand of Manasseh, crossing his hands. For Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, so he intentionally crosses his hand so that the younger will get the, the right hand of blessing. The God, and then verse 15 says, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who's been my shepherd all the days long to this day, the angel has redeemed him from the evil, blessed the boys, and in them let my name be carried on in the name of the fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Okay, there's that phrase again, grow into a multitude. Um, and, and so when Joseph saw this, he, he says, oh, dad, you messed up. Yeah, right. <laughs> it is not this way, my father, since the one is the firstborn. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He shall become a people, referring to Ephraim. He shall become a people and he also shall be great. Or that, that's Manasseh. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he. And his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. There's that 
phrase again, um, or the fullness, or sometimes the fullness of the nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel, I will pronounce my blessing, saying, God, make you as Ephraim and as Messiah. And then he put Ephraim before Messiah, Manasseh. Uh, so I think we mentioned last time that you know, the whole issue of Jeroboam being of the line of Ephraim, right? And so when the two tribes are split, Ephraim is uh, Israel. The northern tribes get, start getting referred to as Ephraim at times in the mm-hmm. prophets, just as the southern tribes get referred to as Judah because the king is of Judah, and here the king is of Ephraim, right? right. And so um, now a lot of scholars will say, well, you know, Ephraim you know, when you look at the just the counting of the peoples, Ephraim was in does end up being larger than Manasseh, right? But it seems that potentially what Paul is doing and and is is saying that it's not it's not just that Af, Ephraim had more into its tribe, it's it's that actually Ephraim becomes all of the northern tribes, and and the northern tribes, what ends up happening to them as we've discussed is they they you know, get to, uh, when the Assyrians capture them, they go off into Assyria. Now, some may have gone down to Judah as well and enfolded into them, but the identity of Israel as Israel, in that sense, or especially Ephraim, really is no longer, there's no longer a return of the king when, when um, there's no return. Uh, from exile, right? For the the, unlike the Babylon, Babylonian captivity, when Judah, the, the um, exiles over right. after seven years, they come back, and most of them come back. There's some that still go out into the diaspora yeah. that you talk about, um, but a little bit, a little bit different because they're they're still identified right. when they come back. Right. And even and just back to Judah, you know, even in the 400 years of silence, they're probably being dispersed in some senses, going off into other places, and so. What ends up happening, you know, by the time um, of the New Testament, you know, there are synagogues all over, you know, what we would call, you know, Eastern Europe today mm-hmm. uh, and so forth. So, and there are probably synagogues, I think there are also synagogues in Africa and, and Syria and, you know, they, they, just wherever the Jews go. And is it possible that some... Um, Israelites, I mean, some of the other tribes got folded into that a little bit, potentially, if they, if they tried to still be worshiping. Right. It's well, possible. Yeah, and that's kind of been my modus operandi, if you will, f- right. this in, for the past several years, is that when I see, and I think I mentioned this last time, right. and particularly at Pentecost, um, the faithful Jews of these nations right. that are speaking different languages, they're the ones that are faithful. That's why they're there in Jerusalem. And it's not just these bunch of other people from different nations that are in particular Gentiles that happen to be there and hear the hear right. the gospel messages, people that are there for a reason. Right. And so that's yeah. that's why I kind of always integrated Israel into that portion of right. the, the, the diaspora. And now um, it, it seems like it's it's even more um, there's even more to it as far as how the Gentiles go and right. and the reharnessing of God collecting his people. Yeah, and so I think one of the things that to investigate, and I want to read um, Jason Staples' a couple of books that he has on this a little bit, is, you know, what is, even like, especially during the time of Jesus, and then and during the time of the birth of the church, and, and Paul and Peter and, and the apostles going out, how did they view 
you know, those northern ten tribes? Did they, and how do they view the restoration of Israel? So, I'm, so it's really interesting, you know, in the book of Acts, in chapter 1, they uh, ask the question, you know, when, Jesus, or when are you going to restore Israel, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm going to try to turn there real quick. If we go and just get the exact phrasing. Are you doing this, this for Matthew or Luke? Or? Acts. Oh, I'm sorry. Acts 1. Oh. So, um, so they're staying, and they, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. This is verse 4, but to wait for the promise of the Father. He said, you heard from me, and Job had baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, right? So verse 6 of chapter 1, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Mm. Okay? And he said for you, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so... I've started wondering a little bit, is uh, what do they mean, restore the kingdom of it to Israel? Are they thinking of all 12 tribes at this point? And it's another interesting question. Why does Jesus choose 12 disciples? Mm-hmm. Right? Well, because there were 12 tribes of Israel. We all know that, right? But is this a sign that he's wanting to restore all Israel? Right? Is that the, is that the point of the 12 disciples, that all Israel would be coming back, right? And so we need 12 disciples. Yeah. Um, but, but what about all these, what about the lost tribes? What about, the you know, now again, I have some enfolded in, yeah, but, but it's interesting too that there are some people during the time of the Gospels who would identify with Israel and with Yahweh and are using the Pentateuch and are trying to worship, and they're called Samaritans. But yet, how do the Jews view Samaritans? Do the, do the Jews view of that time, do they view Samaritans as insiders or outsiders? I, I'm, I was looking up something. I'm okay, sorry. Okay. As insiders or outsiders, who's that? Do, do, during the time of the Gospels, yes. the Samaritans, how do the views Jew Samaritans? Do they view them yeah. as insiders or outsiders? No, as outsiders. And, right. and, but I had always been... Um, very narrowly thinking that's just simply because they kind of were Israelites that had bonded with, you know, like the half-breed type thing. You know, well, yeah, exactly. They had intermarried. Yeah. But, which is the very thing that in the Old Testament they're warned against but said that that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Right? Sure. And so, so does that mean they're lost because they're intermarried? I mean, well, well, they don't count because they intermarried. Well, who didn't intermarry? Did any of them stay pure? And here's the other question. How many Judaites really stayed pure? Right. Because even the Messiah himself isn't a pure blood. If you look at the genealogy in, in, uh, in the Gospels, I mean, you've got Rahab in there. You've got uh, Ruth in there. Got- well, what about Manasseh with, with <laughs> Joseph? That, he, that his wife was an Egyptian. Yes. Right. Right. So this whole notion yeah. of this, you know, kind of pure Israel or ethnic Israel, it, it's... it's you know, it, it's it's not there to begin with, right? Yeah, the whole the whole ethnicity thing is a non-issue with God. The whole purpose for Israel that we've talked about for not only episodes of of, of this whole thing looking at Israel, but and many others as well, is 
that the Lord has grabbed a cell group to shine the light of the true God to the nations around them, right? The point was always to be a blessing to the nations. And if we talked about, and what Paul goes to great lengths in Romans 1 through 8 to talk about how it is, it's, it's those who share the faith of Abraham that, that are spiritual Israel, that are true Israel, same thing in Galatians, right? And so, and so that's been part of the, the point of all this to begin with. However, Romans 9 to 11, for some scholars, even conservative evangelical reform scholars, who have kind of said, we have it in Romans 9 to 11, it seems like he's back talking about ethnic Israel. And so he's talking about ethnic Israel, and he says that all Israel is going to be saved— in context, it seems like he'd be talking about ethnic Israel, right? And to and so let's let's just turn to Romans eleven because I think that's just read it and get to it. Now we're not going to read all of Romans eleven, but I want to get to the specifically um, the part where this is being talked about. So he asked the question to begin with: Has God rejected His people? And that's been one of the things all along that's been going on here is, is God's covenant, is his promise, is his word been ineffective if the Israels aren't believing, right? Um, mm-hmm, sure. and, but it's the same thing. You could ask the same thing back when, you know, the prophets are coming to Israel before they're taken off by the Assyrians in 722. It's, why are you worshiping these other gods? What are you doing setting up these other places of worship? You know, what's, what's going on? Um, has God rejected his people? Well, uh, you know, in some ways, well, so yeah, he did. He carried them off into exile. <laughs> right? right, he divorced them. Right. right, but his answer is by no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people, whom he foreknew. Um, so he's saying, and, and of course he would be a Jew uh, as well. But again, re- he's using Israelite terms here. Do you not know the scripture says of Elijah how he appeals to God again? To God against Israel, Lord, they've killed your prophets, they've demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to them? I've kept for myself 7,000 men who've not bowed the knee to Baal. And so so God has always been keeping a remnant, as he's been saying here. I think right? that's important to, to pause and, and look at, because when we look at, um, and we've mentioned this, and you just mentioned it a, a minute ago, about God divorcing you know, the northern tribes— and it, it's it, the, the question that was asked earlier, you know, is, has God rejected his people, right. right? The right way to look at this is, no, the people have rejected God, and they are reaping the disciplinary actions of their rejection of the one true God. And so God... Um, because he's all about covenant, is like, okay, if you're going to reject the covenant, then, and, and what is what is the like one reason that you're allowed to divorce your wife from the, from the biblical standpoint? Adultery. Adultery. Well, what were these tribes doing? And they were committing they, adultery. They were committing adultery by worshiping order, other gods, worshiping other gods right. and all of this other stuff. You mentioned the temple prostitutes and, yeah. and all that. So, but... It, it was the rejection of the of God. The discipline that Yahweh gives them is writing them the certificate of divorce. Right. In the meantime, he was so long suffering during that saying, please repent. Please yes. turn back. And he, right. he 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 left himself with open arms, but then he finally says, All right, 
You've now made your bed. Here it is. It's not a rejection. It's it's the giving of the people of what they of what they've really asked for. It is, and that's and that's what their forefathers agreed to, and that's why we, we went back and looked at Deuteronomy, and <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Curses and so forth, the yeah. blessings and curses that come with it. And you know, some people want to accuse you know the God of the Old Testament of being angry, and, and I'm like, you know, whenever God reminds His people of the covenant, He says, "I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt. Mm-hmm. I'm the God who chose you. You have nothing special about you. You weren't some great people. I chose you. I rescued you. I brought you. I gave you." A land, and I give you houses you didn't build and vineyards you didn't plant, all this stuff. I mean, God has been generous with them. He's been patient with them. Um, it, it, I use this example at times, you know, the, the let's say a, a dad who has built a fine home for his family, and he has uh, he's given them, you know, food on the table all the time and everything that they need, you know. Let's say he goes off on a work trip for a couple weeks, you know, and the mom comes into the picture and she calls up the dad. It's like, hey, the kids are rebelling. I mean, you know, they're just being atrocious. They're not following the rules of the house. They're not doing anything. And he's like, well, I'm coming back. You tell them I'm coming back. You know, in some ways, the, the mom then takes on the role of the prophet, <laughs> who's the covenant lawyer, who reminds the people what they've agreed to. And mom comes back to the kids and reminds them of the laws of the household and, and everything the dad has said. And she says, dad's coming back. You know, this dad who's cared for you, who's put food on your table. And this isn't, a, this isn't some absentee dad. This isn't an alcoholic dad who beats his kids. It, this isn't who Yahweh is, right? right. Yahweh's the loving, kind, um, gracious dad who's done so much for them. But the kids are just completely are returning and, and not doing. But he's coming, mm-hmm. you know, and, and he's going to come back and, and do that. And he did. He did. He came right. and he, he implemented his covenant rights, and said, you know, these are the consequences. Um, and that's what happened in, in the day of the Lord of Amos, right, when he comes and, and sends them away and lets, mm. the, lets the Assyrians come and execute, you know, that thing upon them. Exactly. But the other part of that picture, um, as far as rejecting in his people, is the verse that you read a little bit later. Is like, no, I reserved a people. I yeah. this is I had to maintain the covenant and I did this by throwing my grace upon this particular group of people right. to demonstrate my love, to change their hearts and right. and with that then these others that go away, they're always welcome back. They are and, and that, that the prophets are always giving this opportunity to repent, to cry out to Lord and to return. At the end of Amos is the same thing. I know, remember, you know, when I used to get disciplined when my dad would go on vacation, my mom yeah. would say, Your dad's coming back and I would say, Oh, I know. Yeah. You know, and I'd come back and the discipline would take place and let's just say that was gonna be in my room. Um, sometimes I would harden my heart even more and just yeah. say, You think that was bad, just right. wait till how I behave next time. You know, yeah. while all the while my dad was waiting there just for me to just come and say, I'm sorry. And, come back. and, and, come, yeah. and, go and that's shoot. the invitation. Even right. after the, the invitation is always to come back. Yeah. To come back, come, come back. back to me. Right. Absolutely. Um, I mean, think of the, I mean, a, a great example is the, pro, the, the the parable of the prodigal son. Right. Right. Yeah. You know? There he is waiting for yeah, the son is, to come back. There he is waiting. So, all right. So now here we have that the Lord has not rejected his people. Mm-hmm. And now what? So I'm going to jump down to verse 11 of, of Romans 11. He says, So I asked, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Mm. All right? So the offer is being made to the Gentiles, right? And in so doing, Israel is being made jealous, right? 
He says, now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Okay? And so, uh, or their fullness. There's that phrase again of fullness that's coming in. And so, in this whole process, he's, what he's also speaking to the Romans, he's, he's making sure the Gentiles have no reason to be puffed up. Right. Right? Yeah. He says, but... But it, it's through the preaching to the Gentiles that the Israel is, is, is also... Now, here I wonder, is he talking about Jewish Israel or all Israel at this point in terms of the jealousy? Because he's been talking about the Jews before, or is he, or is he just talking about everyone? Um, I, don't, I haven't worked complete that, that out completely. Mm-hmm. But he says, I'm speaking to you Gentiles in as much as that I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous. So here he is talking about the Jews. That's why it makes me think that when he referred to Israel before, he might be talking about Jews. Yeah, and the way he states that is that he's ministering to Gentiles. So these are non, Yeah, it could be non-Israelite nations yeah. and of course peoples, but what he's saying is that he's preaching to them to get to his brothers that are within yeah. the bloodline. It's, right. you know, it's exactly. It, go ahead. And so, um, what verse 15, for if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean? But life from the dead, if the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so was the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Here we get to the branches we had mentioned before. Mm-hmm. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. So here again, he's preaching to the Gentiles that they should have no arrogance either. If you are remembered, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you, right? Then you will say branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. Branches being um, broken off being Israel. Those who are being grafted in are Gentiles. Okay, They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. So the same Mm. thing can happen to Gentiles. Right. You know? So just because I'm a Gentile and my grandfather believed and my father believed, it doesn't guarantee me anything, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? right. Um, I need to be faithful. I need to believe in Christ as well. Note that the kindness and the severity of God, severity towards those who've fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. How do we continue in his kindness? We believe in the kindness of Christ. Right? Um, otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even, even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Right. And so when I would look at this passage, even as early as six months ago, my thought on this would be simply the Jews that rejected Christ. But it's speaking louder than that, isn't it? It's speaking to me now. Of course, there's going to be Jews included in this that rejected, but the gospel first went to the Jews. Yes. Right? And now it's going out to the Gentiles. Right. But now it's speaking in the fellow fellow countrymen type of aspect. where, where Where was Paul from again? 
you know, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that includes uh, yeah. the, the, the Israelites, that Northern tribe era right. area to me. And that's how I'm starting to be, to begin to read right. this. And I don't know if I'm overreaching the, now. You might be a little bit in the sense that those Israelites, I think in Paul's mind, while he may have them in mind, he is, they are considered Gentiles now. There's a sense in which you are a people who are not my people. Remember that? You, yes. You'll be considered not my people. So even though they are his people, they're now considered Gentiles, right, in, in a sense. They are. They would be of the lost tribes of Israel, but how are they viewed? They're viewed as Gentiles because they've intermarried, they're dispersed in there. But they are. They, but how do they, we come back through the Gentiles, but they are, in some senses, you know, viewed that way. Right. So let me... I guess I'm thinking more specifically of the natural branches that were cut off. Yeah. To me, that's the Northern. Yeah. That, okay. Me, that, I mean, that's to me, just from what we've been studying and I'm, I'm just kind uh-huh. of trying to flesh this out, right. you know, on exactly. air right now, <laughs> but that instead of just being the Jews that rejected Christ at the moment that he came, it seems like those who were outside of the covenant relationship with God, yeah. um, historically, maybe for the for the seven hundred years prior to that, yeah, but it, yeah. So I guess what's going through my head too is, what would would an unbelieving Jew also be considered that, even though they're a Jew and not an Israelite, right? And that's that's why I was asking. Yes, would they also be the branch that's cut off? Right. So you so we have to kind of hold. Yeah, those strands a little bit loosely. You think? Maybe I don't know. I, I, I'm still wrestling. with A question all this. for Jason. Yeah, there we go. A question for Jason. If if we can, uh, we uh, ever get a chance to talk to him. Uh, <laughs> verse twenty five. Lest you be wise in your own sight, Gentiles. I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. Right. So all who believe. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So I'm going to stop there and I'll hone in on the end of verse 25 and verse 26. So the way I have had conservative evangelical even reform, they don't. They wouldn't necessarily be dis, have to be dispensational. Sometimes look at this verses. They would say there's a partial hardening come upon Israel, and they would they wouldn't be distinguishing between Israel and Judah here. This would be everyone, right? And I would say, in some senses, they might even be thinking of primarily the Israel who did come back after the exile, right? Sure, and, right. Um. Until the fullness of Gentiles has come in. So that hardening is talking about, now we know that some, even in Paul's day, that some Jews and Israelites have come to faith. But they're talking about this partial hardening. But for the, but for the majority wise, it's not that way. There's still plenty, there's more, you know, probably Jews out there practicing their Judaism than there are Messianic Jews. Okay, so there's a partial hardening. And they would see this until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in and saying that, okay, so now we're in the church age, and we have this period where the people going out, and, and there's more Gentile believers than there are Jewish believers, okay? Mm-hmm. When that time, when the fullness of the Gentiles has come, when God in his providential um, care and his foreordaining of things, when, he, when it's sufficient, 
that all the Gentiles have been reached, they would say then, verse 26, in all this way Israel will be saved, right? That now, now once that's done, then all Israel will come back and be saved. Like en masse. In mass, all, there will be this kind of future, they, they see this as some kind of future in mass conversion of Israel that will happen before Jesus returns. Right. And I don't think it would be reaching to say for those who are in the dispensational viewpoint here that this would almost be like at the at the time the Gentiles have all been saved that the Lord has called, they would almost tie this in to the time of the rapture. And now... Exactly. And now... They would very much look at it that Yeah, way. and now all, all Israel is going to say, wow, they were right. Now they would see this. Right. As, but But we're not... We're not saying, we're not saying that. Yeah, you know, could God do that? Of course, He sure. could. But I, but they're saying that this is exactly what Paul is talking about. Here. Right. And now I'm saying, could God do that? Yeah. But but what I'm being persuaded now because of Jason Staples and and then I think Doctor he- Michael Heiser read his article. He agrees with it, and yeah. other people. I think even N.T. Wright uh, to a degree. Yeah, I, I would think that. He, I don't know if, he, but I think he would fall in line with mm-hmm. this very much, is that uh, what it's actually saying is, no, it's the partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And it's actually in this way, It's we should read that as through this way, by means of this way, all Israel is being saved because they're being saved through the conversion of the Gentiles because Israel has been intermarried and become a part of the Gentiles. And so it's actually the preaching of the gospel to the Gentiles that is bringing all Israel back in. Well, it, well yeah, and now we have this context clue that you've been leaning into pretty heavily from right. Genesis chapter 48. Right, so we this phrase, the fullness of the Gentiles, or the fullness of the goyim, right, mm-hmm. which is the same phrase back in Genesis, Right, that that would be the that would be the Hebrew phrase, right? And in, in in I think in the you know it would be the uh, the Gentiles would be the the Septuagint version of that if that's what Paul would be referring to. And so what we see here is now, yeah, which is the, they get that the Greek is the yeah ethnos ethnos yeah, and then yeah the goyim sorry for the Hebrew yeah. sorry the ethnos yeah so so anyway the um. Now, people could, scholars could say, man, you're making a pretty big stretch out of, you know, I don't know how many, if it's four words, you know, um, or whatever this phrase, the fullness of the Gentiles, you know, that, uh, that's a, is that a big stretch to make such a big deal out of this phrase? Because, uh, you know, back to Genesis 48 and, and, you know. Well, no, we're not. And the reason that we're not is because we're sticking within the context um, you know, of the of the two books, right? You know, and so when you're grabbing um, particular phrases out, and the Septuagint is going to be pulling that out, and particularly, you know, with within the same language, mm-hmm. um, it's being pointed to. And when when Ephraim is saying that his seed is going to become the fullest of the nations, you know, that's interesting because right. it is Ephraim that goes into the nations at the time of the divorce. Exactly. And so, you know, I don't, it's, it's not a reach. Yeah. And if you think about it in terms of the promised blessing and the, the inclusion then of the Gentiles through the church and the, of Jesus Christ, that we see that, that prophecy even in the, in the bigger sense of it, right? Now, in Genesis 49, we see that the lion of the tribe of Judah, right, that the, 
the one who's going to have the ruling scepter in Genesis 4 is Judah. And so the Messiah is still coming through Judah, right? Judah still has prominence in the sense that it's through the line of Judah that the Messiah comes, right? And all the nations will, in one sense, bow to Judah because of that. Mm -hmm. But, But the fullness of the nations come in through Ephraim, in some senses, right? Now, because Ephraim is then grafted back into Judah, right, because of the Messiah. But it's very, I've always been perplexed a little bit by all these chapters are spent on Joseph in Genesis. Like from 30, Genesis 37 to the end, Joseph is the, the key figure, mm-hmm. right? Now, the, the, the other sons of Jacob come in too, but it's like, it's, it, it, it just kind of puzzled me for a while. Why spend so much time? Now, Joseph, in his actions, can, is a Christ-like figure in some ways, right? Right. But, but in terms of the greater narrative and the story of Israel and everything else, it's like Joseph in his heritage, eh, you know, I never really got it. And then when I, when I started, it, was, it wasn't until this that I started noticing how much prominence Ephraim has. And part of the problem is, is that Ephraim is not cast in a good light because the nor- there's no good northern king. I mean, the northern tribes of Israel are always somewhat in rebellion, mm-hmm. right? right? And so how is, how is Ephraim a blessing if, if they're almost the paragon of, of adultery, <laughs> right? Right. And I think, it, but it's through this, that, that, that it's, through the, it's through the, but it's through that dispersion into the nations and the nations coming back to faith that, that we, I think we see that, which actually, if you look at even the... It somewhat parallels Joseph himself, right? Joseph is sold by his brothers into slavery, right? And if we even go back to to the the son of Solomon, Rehoboam, what's he? He treats he, he treats the other tribes. You know, he's not going to just be harsh with them. He's not going to be merciful to him. He's like, he's going to come and bring an iron hand, and that's why they rebel, and that's why we have begin to the to begin with, and that's ultimately, mm-hmm. you know. Joseph starts telling about these dreams and how he's going to rule over them, and the the, the 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 his brothers rebel against him as a result of it. That's right, right? And it's uh, so so anyway. And so, what does he do? He gets sold into the nations. He gets sold to Egypt. Egypt is is a you know a Gentile nation. He goes there and he raises to prominence there. And then and then and then the tribes are actually saved back in through him. Right. You know, in <laughs> exactly. Egypt, right? Right. And so it's just really interesting that like this. It makes sense in the whole biblical narrative in some senses. We, I just, I'm starting to see more connections than I've ever seen before. Yeah, right. There's, yeah, just right. Never so, ends. so is there other evidence potentially of this? Well, I think if we go to Jeremiah 31 and we look at the new covenant, we start to see this as well. That um, at the beginning of Jeremiah 30, 31, it says, At that time, declares the Lord, I'll be the God of all the clans of Israel. They shall be my people. And here it's talking about the restoration. It's looking forward to the time when all things are coming back, right? And so he's talking about, he, again, we have all the clans of Israel shall be my people, okay? So it has to refer to more than just those who are coming back after the exile of, of Judah and Benjamin and Levi, right? Right. And by the way, you know, this Jeremiah 31 is in portion of being spoken of right there in, in the Romans verse. Yeah. Right. You know, so, I mean, it takes us there because right. the the scripture is showing right. us that it's being pulled, you know, from right. the old Testament. Yeah. And so, you know, even down to, to 
to verse 5, again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant, and they shall enjoy the fruit. Samaria is within the northern kingdom, right? Um, they shall be a day when the watchman will call in the hill country of Ephraim. Arise, let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God, right? So Ephraim's being restored into worship on Zion and so forth, right? And then we have, you know, um, Jacob and his, uh, and so forth is being talked about. Verse 10, hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare the coastlands far away. He who scattered Israel will gather him, and he will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. So here Israel scattered, he's bringing them back, um, and so forth. As we just see all this language throughout mm-hmm. that, that is there. Um, we have the phrase, you know, f- that, that is quoted um, about uh, in Ramah, the lamentation of, be- of Rachel's weeping for her children, right? When Jesus, after the... Uh, um, the, the children are, are the firstborn are, uh, of Bethlehem are the, the are killed after Jesus is born, all that, right? Mm-hmm. But we see the uh, uh, verse 18, I have heard Ephraim grieving. You've disciplined me. I was disciplined. I'm like an untrained calf. Bring me back that I may be restored for you, the Lord, my God, right? So we see Ephraim again being brought out here in, in all this. And then we get to the verses that we quote a lot with uh, with the new covenant. And so, verse 31, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Why distinguish between the two? Right? Right. Because, he, because they are two. And, and they're both... Be, so the new covenant is for the house of Israel and for the house of Judah. And like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day in which I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. There's that language of, we've been talking about divorce and everything, I was their husband. By the way, I just want to correct you, because you said um, like the covenant, but it says not like the covenant. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 32, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them out of the land of Egypt. So, because it's it's a new covenant, it's a renewed covenant Mm -hmm. that is bringing them back. How is it not like that covenant? Well, I'm beginning to think more and more. It's not like that covenant in the sense that the stipulations are different. Because they're not, it's not tied to the land anymore, right? Now, are there stipulations in the new covenant? I think there are in a sense, because Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Sure. Right? Um, now, it's by grace, through faith, not of works. But once we enter into that, we do have covenant obligation to our Savior, Yahweh. Right. And we all, that, those and we, obligations look different than they did for Israel going into the promised land. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And when you said by grace, not um, through faith, not of works, um, in a very real sense, neither was the old covenant. Exactly. Right. Right. But, but it, was, it was never-ending work in the temple to have this... Um, Daily sacrifice, the the shedding of blood to atone for sins. And when Christ comes, it's a once and for all um, act. So it is different. Right. So in verse 33, when he says, For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Okay. We know now Israel here, I think, has become inclusive. We know back in 31, it's Israel, the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Right. But now in verse 33, we know that Israel here, house of Israel, is would be it inclusive because it's inclusive. Af- after those after days. After those days, right? Oh, good. Yeah. 
I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people, which goes back to even Deuteronomy and the circumcision of the heart, right? That they had uncircumcised hearts, now they're going to have circumcised hearts and they'll know the law and they'll do what he says. And so that's what we have here. No longer shall one teach his neighbor to his brother, know the Lord for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord, forgive their iniquity, I'll remember their sins no more. And so... Um, Israel and Judah, both included in this. And so this restoration, I think, and again, I would love to be able to have some conversation with people who've done more study on this, is the this notion that how did people in the Second Temple period, how did people returning from the exile under, the, under Ezra, Nehemiah, and so forth, you know, how did they read this? How did, when, they, when they read Isaiah, and, they like, they, and they're thinking, oh, the house of Israel is going to be restored too, right? How did they think that was going to happen? You know, I don't know. I, you know, what did, the, did, did, they, um, did they see that as, oh, we, they've already started intermixing back with us, and so that's what's happening? Yeah. Or, or is, is God going to create Israel again out of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin and Levi? I don't know. It's just interesting to think about what their mindset would be when they would read stuff like that. Right. Or did they did they foresee a day when you know God's just going to actually bring them back out of the nations again? You know, it's interesting because um, we have what's called the what is it four hundred years of silence from the from the time of the second um, temple yeah. a, until right. right, and so but it's not really silent silent. If you're looking at um, extra biblical writings, there's mm-hmm. a lot of historical writings that shed light on these exact facts, and some of that comes from books like uh, First Maccabees um, and some of the other uh, writings as well. Not that they're scripture, but there are some that have good um, historicity to them, right? Including up to. Um, uh, Josephus in the first century, which um, his language also is um, more precise when he's speaking of Israel and Judah. Yes, and so um, when we look at how other people are reflecting, we can we can maybe get there. And I have a lot of homework to do right. in that in that regard. And not that I will, but I'm definitely <laughs> going to do the cliff note version yeah. of trying to learn that because. Uh, right now, this is opening up um, more clarity, and I think, and how we understand eschatology. Yeah, you know, and what I mean by that is how God is redeeming His people, because we would think that the lost northern tribes that was a once and once and for all rejection, hmm. but but it never was. Right, right, and during that time, God was constantly restoring people, even if it was um, through the the Jewish so-called right. faith, the faith of God, you know, the yeah. Yahweh of Israel at yeah. that time. And they were just banished to these other right. areas and they just weren't exercising um, any temple sacrifice during that time. I mean, there's some, it's interesting. Can you be faithful without a temple sacrifice? Well, that's, I think that was the thing that they were wrestling with in the diaspora, you know, with the synagogue mm-hmm. and which still to today, right? Because even though they're, they're able to, some Israel live in the land, they, they don't, they don't have access to the Temple Mount, and there are no sacrifices going on in Israel right now, right? 
and we know we believe that because well Jesus is the final sacrifice right mm-hmm. um, that, that that's not necessary um I do want to um, just quickly look at another verse that I'm wrestling with a little bit uh, I, I think I don't think this is what this is talking about necessarily but it's just interesting to consider uh, and it's the story of of Balak and Balaam in Numbers 22, 23 and following um, that the uh, it's this whole notion of a people who aren't my people and the whole notion of, of the nations and so forth. And so, you know, you have the famous story of the, uh, you know, uh, the, the king of Moab hires Balak, the prophet, to come uh uh, or Balak's the king who had Balaam come to be the hired prophet to come and curse Israel, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, that, uh, backfires. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and then and then the whole thing with the donkey. The donkey mm-hmm. like starts. He starts to beat the donkey because he won't go because the angel of the Lord is there, you know, protecting his path. And right. And then he comes out and says, you know, the donkey starts speaking to him <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. Well, then, well, then uh, Balak um, or Balaam does start to prophesy. And he, he, even though he's not a prophet of Yahweh, the Lord gives, Yahweh gives him the words and he starts prophesying. And he starts speaking, instead of curses, he starts speaking blessings upon Israel because he can't curse Israel because right. God's blessed him. <laughs> so, but I just want to, there's one little phrase in here um, in, in, in chapter 23, starting in verse 7, this little oracle. There's a few different oracles, but this one in particular, for some reason, it, it's got my brain working. And so, so it says, from Aram, Balak has brought me, the king of Moab, from the eastern mountains. Curse, curse Jacob for me. Come and denounce Israel. And he says, verse 8, how can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the crags I see him, from the hills I behold him. Behold a people dwelling alone and not counting itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or the number, the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the upright. Let me die and then be like this. And so it's this little phrase, not behold a people dwelling alone and not counting itself among the nations. Okay. So to me, that's the Deuteronomy 32 worldview, right? That we've talked about before. Um, Israel is not counted with the nations, the rest of them. It's a people set apart and chosen by God, mm-hmm. right? So that it's not counting itself among the nations, okay? But we know, but later they are, you know, when Israel's destroyed, they do start getting counted among, you know, they actually become a multitude of nations, right? Yeah. yeah. And so so it's just interesting. I point this out because, like, when I read this stuff before, I wouldn't be thinking this way now, but now I am. Right. And one, because of the Deuteronomy 32 world we've talked about, but also because there is there does come a time when they do, when... You know, when the ten tribes do start getting counted among the nations, right? Well, interesting, the ESV here, it has a little note, and it says, what's this whole you know, notion? So Exodus, it references a couple different verses here. Exodus thirty three sixteen. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight and I your people? Is it not you is it not in your going with us? That whole we talked about this after the golden calf episode, right? That we are distinct, and I, your people, from every other people on the face of the earth, right? So there's this very important thing that they are distinct. Why are they distinct? Because they're a set-apart people to be a witness to Yahweh. Well, another one of the verses, Ezra 9.2, 
says, for they have taken some of their daughters to be wives for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy race has mixed itself with the peoples of the lands. And so Ezra's upset. Why? Because they've mixed themselves with the peoples of the lands, Mm. right? And in this faithlessness in the hand of the officials, the chief man is the foremost. And so we start to see that, you know, this is one of those things that um, begins to happen, is that they, they are even though they're not to be, they, they are. Um, and then Esther 3.8, Haman says to King Hazarus, there is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws, so that, they, so that is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. So what's the historical setting of Esther? This is the tenth time of just of the, of the exile, or just after the exile. Well, yeah, they're they're carried out. The, they're the it, one. Yeah, it, I think they're. That's when they're in, in Assyria, right? Or this, is, or is this Babylon? No, this is Babylon. This is Babylon. Uh, this is right? Babylon, and this is, I think is when right. they have just been given the. It's during the time of Esther that they're allowed to go back. Yeah, and then that's it's actually in this to, whole thing that they the, the the feast of Purim comes about, right? Because of their, um, their. Esther rescues them, and they're not—they're not all killed, and, and all that kind right. of stuff, right? Yeah, you know. Absolutely. But it's interesting, just this language of of being different, also of being scattered, and all this stuff that they're referencing out that they out of this um, not counting itself among the nations, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, with all that language history, it's like, okay, is it appropriate for us to count Israel among the nations? After 722, right? At least the, the lost 10 tribes. That becomes the thing, right? That is what's going on here. And, but I, well, I think in a sense that, you know, I'm just going to throw out my answer there, yeah. even though I haven't thought this through yet. But I think in a very real sense, that is true because they've been assimilated into the nations. And um, at the time, let's just say at the time of Christ um, comes, they are not believing in the Messiah, Right. You know, um, I don't know what their hope might be, but they're living among the nations. They're counted, accounted as the nations. But this is the whole purpose of God um, and the gospel message to go out and bring people from every tongue, tribe and nation and those who are assimilated into those nations unto himself. And so yeah. I, I think with that, it's OK that we, we say that um, that they are to be accounted among the nations and but. The, the other sliver of that that I understand where you're going and why maybe not is because he always has his remnant and he hasn't forgotten Israel. Right. But when we go back to the I think it was Hosea we looked at last week, right? You, I'm going to count you as not my people. Right. right. There's a sense in which that happens because of their disobedience, and they're choosing to worship other gods, as we've talked about, right? So it's made me think about Babel, the Tower of Babel, of what happens there. When all this thing comes about, which the, which Deuteronomy 32 we think is referring to, right? Sure. That he scattered them. Why is he scattering them? Um, one, because they're not fulfilling their call to fill the earth, right? They're also trying to make a name for themselves. They're trying to reach up to God so he would bless them and make it make their name great, not his name great. Right. And they're all disobedient. And so it's out of that disobedience and out of that false worship and out of that selfishness and, and disobedience that they're scattered. And God takes for himself which a remnant in Abraham, right? 
to the, from which he's going to be, a, they're going to return and be a blessing. Isn't it interesting? I don't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. Well, no, I think that's in a sense, what I'm wondering is the Northern 10 tribes are become a reflection back into Babel itself in some ways. Right, because the northern ten tribes, through their false worship and disobedience, get scattered. Well, this is where I was just going to go, you know. And so I, I think I'm, I'm reading. Um, we're on well, the same wavelength. We're on the same wavelength. Yeah. yeah. So, what happens at Babel is not only the divisions of the nations, uh, of the people among these different nations, but it was really a division. Um, spiritually about the divisions of which gods they're going to serve. Right. You know, because the nations are are broken up, but there's gods that are above these nations. And the one true God, Yahweh, the creator of all things, he takes Israel unto himself. And this is early in the Genesis account. This is like chapter 11. And, um, you know, just right after the flood incident, before Israel even had a name. But Moses is reflecting back, saying, the Lord has chosen Israel um, for himself. And these other nations are going to be, you know, it, it speaks of the uh, the gods that they'll be serving. And that's, what do we see as Israel comes out of Egypt and they go into the land? They go into the land to take it over because they're serving these false gods. And mm-hmm. the one warning is, don't serve the gods that they're serving. So, you know, we would think, you know, they're just serving idols. These other nations are serving idols. But there's there's a real spiritual entity behind the, behind these idols, I believe. Right. Yeah, there is. Uh, and and it, it reflects the spiritual na- uh, state of the people doing that. And, and so when Paul then, you know, starts talking in the New Testament about principalities, powers— and so forth, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against those things, right? Mm-hmm. That's, the same th- that's the same issue, you know, th- that we have today when if we're not worshiping Yahweh, we're worshiping something. And you, you might proclaim yourself an atheist or an agnostic or whatever, and you don't think you're, you worship anything. But if you're a slave to your, uh, your master of your own... Uh, prestige and reputation in whatever line of work you're in or whatever your profession is that you've tr- you can turn that into a god right. and there's and there's there's and there's a spiritual power behind that that is that is there uh, uh, enticing you into that whether it could be money you know maybe you you you're serving money or you're serving sex or you're serving a substance of some kind or even your own family right um that it, mm-hmm. it can be made into idols and behind all of that are principalities and powers that are telling you how good that is and telling you that um, that's going to bring you life and flourishing uh, and so forth. And so, uh, you know, the, Jesus, the Messiah, the one true king, is the one who breaks all those down. And that's who, who we are to serve. Uh, and, and he is gathering in all the nations to do that. And in, in the gathering of the nations, he's also gathering um, all Israel. So who knows? I mean, I, I maybe I, I might have some uh, genealogical connection to one of the, the ten tribes. You know, I, I, 
I could have I could have a little bit of Reuben in me from way back when. You could, you could, <laughs> and uh, and that's one of my favorite sandwiches, by the way. So I had one. Of them. Anyways, um, you know, as we get ready to to wrap the session up and, and move on to next week, uh, I'm thinking about how we are to live our lives um, in the light of this revelation. And it, it doesn't change what we've been called to in Christ. The Great Commission um, remains the same, right? But I think as we're looking at these passages um, and trying to put together where Paul is taking us um, for the future is that we we shouldn't have our eyes too far ahead. I mean, it has to do with where we are right now. And that's why... Um, we're a Presbyterian church here, but we're an EPC, an Evangelical Presbyterian church. Right. What's the evangelical part about it? It's about sharing the gospel right. with all the nations, right? Exactly. And, and we do that um, in, a, in a local means. We do that through our missionaries. Um, we do that by, by other various means and going to communities and helping out. We have in, in Flint, we have Detroit um, that, that you guys work so diligently for. But... What do you what do you think um, for somebody like me that really is more about um, the, 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 what happens within the four walls? Kind of just living within the church right. community. You know, how do we participate in that in in that bigger scheme of that great commission? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think one is let your love for the word of God and the gospel flow out of your life. That um, if if this is if what we've been saying is true, and, and it is, and it is, um, then and uh, one, I think we need we need to take the warning that Paul has there in in Romans eleven to the Gentiles, and don't become proud of what you have, but recognize that you're part of this worldwide rescue project that God started with the Israelite people, you know, and we're privileged to be grafted in. And so what are we going to do with that privilege? What are we going to do with that election, that calling to mission? Is that that's part of our identity of being a, a Messiah follower, a, a, a Christian, is to realize that, that our, our number one Purpose, and this is what I, I want to look. I want to look back into Romans eight a little bit, uh, going back, and I, I want to revisit the whole notion of glory again, and what it means to be an image bearer in glory, and how we're all being brought yeah. back into that as part of this solution. Right. Because I think I've often have thought about my glorification as a total future thing, and I think there's a lot more about the right now to that that I need to be to be thinking about mm-hmm. what it means to be glorified right now, and then with that. Also, I think, is how we view... uh, One of the things that this study has helped me with in this understanding is that there's always this... Has been... I hear from others, and it influences me, of... We talk about already, not yet. That There's a lot of emphasis on the not yet. And I think what this is helping us see is that, no, the emphasis needs to be more on the already... There is some not yet still to happen. But as we're seeing here, even with Israel, even in that Romans 11, 27, that, that it's 
through. It's not something we're waiting for this in the, in the future, right? Now, God can always do that, as we said, but it seems to be the impetus is that is it's actually happening through the preaching of the Gentiles right now, all Israel's being saved. It's right. a right now thing. Um, and it's not just over-spiritualized in terms of the church. That also, it's, it's the inclusion of the actual lost tribes, right? So, so we, you can't say, oh, I'm not, over, I'm not trying to over-spiritualize it, right? But, it, but uh, it's obviously always tied to faith in Christ. But the point is, is that if um, I shouldn't just be, if I want to be a participant in the kingdom, you know, and I confess, there are days I wake up and I just want to, you know, um, move to warmer weather and retire and just enjoy life and not keep doing what I'm doing. Um, but if, but I, the Spirit always comes back to me and says, well, do you believe the Scriptures? You know, um, I'll give you time of rest. You'll, you'll get that. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I take time for that now and then. But the, the point is, is that, but that's not my calling. My calling isn't to go, you know, sip, sip, uh, you know, uh, I can't think of the word, you know, the little drink with the umbrellas and the, you know, the... You know, fruit drinks. Yeah, the, the, you know, <laughs> on an island in the Caribbean. Tropical drinks, For yeah. the rest of my life. Yeah. You know, now he may let me go do that for a week or two, you know, which is fine. I need to be restored and, you know, maybe even a longer period of time. But the point is, is that's not the point. The point of my salvation isn't just waiting for the final day. The point of my salvation, the point of being grafted in and being a part of all this isn't just to um, be able to rejoice at my funeral that I knew Jesus. Uh, it's good, and I, I want people to do that. But the point is, is we're called to something. You know, and just as, as, as Paul, um, he's basically explained, this is why I'm going and preaching and what I'm doing. Right. And we're not all called to be Paul. But we are all called to be witnesses wherever we are and whatever he's placed us to. We're all ambassadors. Pastor Winans, you know, before all of his benedictions in the last few years, he's, he reminds us that we're ambassadors of Christ. The, or we're it's being it's sent one out of the scariest the words for me to hear because the reality of being an ambassador is um, there's ambassadors from foreign nations mm-hmm. that are over here doing communication work right. with our country, right? Well, why are we ambassadors? Well, because our residency, we're citizens of heaven. Exactly. Right? That's the already portion that you're speaking of. Yeah. Right? But that comes with an obligation to the job of being an ambassador. Yeah. And that's to shine the light of Christ where you're at, like you were saying. And so um, uh, my prayer is that we'll... I'd be ever increasing and in letting that light shine. It's not, it's not anything that we have to do. All we have to do is let Christ shine yeah. through us. Yeah. And so ask, I think we could ask ourselves, are we about the fullness of the nations? Do we want the fullness of the nations come mm-hmm. in? Do we believe that the fullness of the nations are coming in? And if we do, then ask yourself, um, and you want to, do you want to speed that day? Uh, then is, uh, do I believe what's the more effective way to experience that now? Is it through the preaching of the gospel or is it through the, uh, the uh, whoever's going to win the next presidential election? Hmm. Right. Or is it, 
is it um, making sure that, uh, you know, is it through making sure that Amazon and Microsoft are, are um, you know, acting justly? Is it, uh, is it making sure that we uh, protect our planet? Now, all those are good things. All those are things that we as witnesses to Christ should stand for right and just things, right? And, and they, are, they are part of our witness in the sense of what we should preach right and wrong. But, but it's not through that that the nations are going to be brought in. It's not through electric vehicles, even though they might be a very good thing. It's not through the, having the right president, although that's going to be a wonderful thing. It's not through... Um, cleaning up the lakes and right. the rivers. Right. There's all good things. So those can all point towards things that would be the new creation in, in some senses. But and it's that, not it's not even the abortion issue in and of itself, unless Christ is attached to it. Right. It's it's of not. Right. It's through the preaching of the gospel. So anytime we we do those things in the name of truth and justice and, and rightness, if we ever do it absent the preaching of the gospel. The fullness of the nations aren't coming through that. Mm. The fullness of the nations are coming through the Messiah yeah. and belief in him. And, and so that's the, that's the struggle I have to wrestle with all the time. The, the, that's the, and that's what actually Paul says. It's gonna, and for many, it's going to seem like foolishness. The wisdom of the world is going to be, we're going to save the world through the protecting of the whales. Or the protecting, uh, you know, the, the protect or the, of green energy. That's the way we're going to save the world, and it's 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 I those can all be good things. Only if, they, but only if they're pointing to the one who is the same. <laughs> That's right? great. So, where do you see us um, heading for the next session? A good question. Um, I. I'd like to just see maybe where else do we see this in the Old Testament? You know what. What are the how are the prophets talking about this a little bit? But I also maybe it's a new season. I don't know, but I, I do want to I do want us to look at this whole notion of um, I th- what does it mean to be conformed to the image of His Son? Mm-hmm. So I don't know if, if in and how that relates to glory because to me that all relates to who Israel's supposed to be in the first place. So maybe, we'll talk. Maybe I don't know if that's a new season or or what, but I think we need we need to talk a little bit. I think we have some more. At least we have at least a wrap-up show to wrap all this and kind of tie a bow on it. Right. But uh, who knows? You know, we I didn't know that it was going to go okay. this many sessions to begin with. No, either, no so, it, uh, sound, it sounds good, you know. So stay tuned, and we'll uh, see you next time. All right. Join us next time as we consider the Book of Romans, where Paul makes a category change from Jews to Israelites. Planet is a Cornerstone EPC production, connecting to God, one another, and the world through the love of Jesus. More information can be found at cornerstonebrighton.com.